0: Well church, good morning. How are you? Good, I hope. You don't have to be quiet. I am so excited about the next three weeks because, as you know, I'm sure you guys realize that I'm traditionally just kind of a one and done kind of guy, right? And it takes a lot for me to kind of say, you know, in the times that we're in right now, I figured, you know what, let's let's make up for something that you haven't been comfortable in doing. Get get yourself a little uncomfortable. And so since I'm already uncomfortable, Can I tell you that the last time I spoke to you guys about passing the baton to the next generation, I made a small mistake. Well, depending if you're my daughter-in-law, a huge mistake. You see, I took plenty of time to mention everyone in my family and how God is helping me and my wife instill values and passing them along to the next generation. But I missed one person. Mark, please, can you bail me out? I didn't just miss one person. I missed my daughter-in-law, the only person that can help me pass on the baton to the next generation. So to you, my sweet, sweet Lauren Lee, my daughter-in-law, I not only offer apologies, but I beg of you, can you please let me off the hook now? (laughs) My goodness, for the last three weeks, every family meal starts with, are you sure you want to sit with a stranger? That's tough, right? I'm an old man. I'm a grandfather. How about a little mercy in there? Anyways, back to business. So, we're going to do the last three weeks together, church. I just feel like with all the stuff you guys have already been through and all the stuff that we've been through, having somebody else come in here and try to share for the next three weeks, I'm sure there's plenty of talented, gifted, wonderful speakers that could do that. But I feel like I know what you're going through because I've been talking to a lot of you guys behind the scene. And so, we're going to tear Acts 24 apart today. We're going to find out what Paul's hope is for today. And that's really important because having a hope for tomorrow is not going to get you through today, right? But if we can really grasp what Paul figured out for today, I think you're going to realize why Paul is such an amazing character. And then next week, we'll run into chapter 27 as we see Paul getting sent to Rome, and he's going to go on a nice little vacation on a ship. But Paul style. Uh, you got to see what happens next week, and then we'll finish up in chapter 28 on the end of the month when Paul actually stands before Caesar. So 24 today, 27 next week, 28 the following week. Wherever you are out there today, Texas, Arizona, Hawaii, Massachusetts, anywhere, thank you guys for gathering, Facebook, YouTube. God bless you all, but you know what? We can't wait to get you back in this building, and we're so excited today just to have a couple people with us this morning. Let me go to the Lord in prayer, and then I'll have you guys turn with me to Acts 24, verses 1 through 10, Acts 24, verses 1 through 10. Father God, I thank you for what has been an incredible week already and just seeing how your hand works and moves throughout the church. And I know there's lots of different things happening on TV and in real life that are extremely distracting. But I do pray, Father, that for right now, for right this very moment, that you would just kind of quiet our hearts, quiet our phones, quiet all the distractions, and truly allow us to hear from your word the encouragement that comes from a man of God who had every reason to be discouraged. And yet the hope that Paul had allows him to stand before his accusers gladly. May we be those who stand before our accusers daily gladly and represent the hope that is in us. We do it all and say it all in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. So if you've been with us the whole time, we've been in Acts the whole time, you can always go back online and see all the previous 16 to 17 messages, but try to think of Acts like two different books. The first one through 13 chapters are basically the beginning of the church. So you have the church in Jerusalem and then the first church of Antioch, right? That's going to be Peter and John's kind of ministry. So the first 13 chapters talk about those two. But the last part of the book, 13 through 28, is really one man's endeavor. Now he's going to take some people along with him, but basically Paul takes the church from these two startup churches to the known world. And he's going to do all this from the seaport village of Antioch. Remember, we talked about just how strategic Antioch was. And trust me, when I tell you Paul's going to bring it, he brings it. He travels over 10,000 miles taking God's word to the known world. Paul's going to do this all the way up until his death, where he's martyred in about 67 AD. Now, Paul first enters the book of Acts in chapter 6, if you guys remember. In chapter 6, Paul enters in as the person who's notorious for killing Christians. He's actually the one who's authorizing the stoning of Stephen, who Stephen will become the first martyr for the faith. If you don't know about martyrs, there's a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a wonderful book that actually tracks martyrs uh, for faith all the way from the beginning of time. So Stephen is that first martyr, and Paul, Saul, is the first person that issues that. We know that he accounts for his clothing being set at his feet, which means he was the one that authorized that endeavor. He's on the road again in chapter 9 with the commission to carry out what he's been doing the whole time, which is persecuting those followers of the way. Now, the way is basically a slang term for people that are following this new Christian faith, the way. And on the road to Damascus, in Acts chapter 9, he has an encounter, boom, and in a flash, everything changes. If you guys saw my midweek, that's the whole point of the midweek, is this this idea that Paul goes from being a Pharisee among the Pharisees, I mean, one of the most trained, highest regarded Pharisees, to in a flash, blinded and confronted by the risen Lord, And I think that's so amazing because he knew all the charges that he was taking against the Gentiles. He knew everything about who he was persecuting. And now in a flash on the road, the Lord speaks to him and asks him, why are you persecuting me? Not only does he realize that the Lord is alive, but he now also realizes all those things he was once persecuting for, he now has to become the person to actually present that information. And when last week when Josh talked to you about conspiracy Man, it wasn't just conspiracy. It was conspiracy at the highest level, right? If you go from being the head prosecutor the Pharisee among Pharisees, and then you get this flash conversion to faith, to, to being a follower of the way, Paul had a giant contingency of people that wanted to see him removed. Just like he had a contingency of people that he wanted to see removed, he's now moved over to that side. So he had friends, he had family, and he had fellow Pharisees, right? People that he once was with. They all see him now as being a person that needs to be removed. And they're going to follow him. Matter of fact, there's a group of about 30 to 40 of them. They're going to make this pact. They're not even going to eat again until they have Paul killed. That's how much people are after Paul. And because of that, Paul has to continually be kind of moving and dodging, moving and dodging. And he does so without any regard for his life. And he always looks for one thing. He looks for the opportunity to profess Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So pick up with me the reading, and then we'll get started with this first part, verse 24. Excuse me, chapter 24, verse 1. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. So Paul has now been taken from the city and been placed in front of the magistrate, which at this time is Felix. Felix. In order for him to stand in front of the magistrate, Ananias has traveled over 60 miles from Jerusalem to come and present these charges along with a few of the elders that will also make these claims against him. Pick it up in verse 2. And when Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. And everywhere and every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge you with this profound gratitude. But in order to not worry you any further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. For we have found in this man to be troublesome, a troublemaker, stirring up riots among all the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. And By examining himself, you will be able to learn the truth about these charges and bring, and bring them against him. The other Jews, the elders that were there, then the other Jews joined in the accusation asserting that all these things were true. Verse 10, when the governor mentioned this to him to speak, Paul replied, I know that you have been the governor for a number of years. You have been judge over this nation, so I will gladly make my defense. Did you notice that opening line, first of all? Did you notice Tertullus buttering up Felix there? Man, you talk about vanity playing a role. You got this attorney saying, most excellent, profound, gratitude, not to bother you, would you hear? We enjoyed all this wisdom. Thank you for all this peace. Thank you for all this peace. Didn't you just say that Paul was starting riots everywhere? That's lawyer ease for you, right? He's getting that Felix all kind of fired up. And Felix was known to be someone who was not religious. So you can understand why this would be advantageous for Tetulus to say these things to kind of get him to be an advocate for him. And the claims that he made against them were very specific a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, okay? So he is the primary person who's causing this group, this sect of the Nazarenes to cause all the problems. Now, Nazareth, as you guys all know, what good can come from Nazareth, right? So a Nazarene is from Nazareth. And so he's just basically, just think about where he comes from. Think about their very names. These people are no good. He's desecrated the temple. He's causing riots. I don't know how he can be causing riots when you thank them for all that peace, Either way, Paul stands before him and boldly says this, cheerfully, I give my account. Let's pick this up in verse 11 now. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. But my accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogue or anywhere in the city. And they cannot prove to you these charges that you're making against me. However, I admit, I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. And I believe everything that is in accordance with the law that is written by the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men. These men he's talking about are the Pharisees. The Pharisees believe that same thing. That there will be a resurrection of both righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and men. 17. After an absence of several years, I did come to Jerusalem, and I brought my people gifts for the poor, and I presented offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there were some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here. And they, have, they can bring up charges if they have anything against me. Of these that should uh, say what crime they found against me when I stood before the Sanhedrin is this, unless, verse 27, unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence, it's concerning the resurrection of the dead that I'm a trial for you today. You see, the Pharisees, they believed, as Paul. He was a Pharisee. He had the same belief. But the sad you sees, they did not believe. They're sad, you see? And that's why they're so sad, because they don't believe. So they believed you had to have your best life now, and however you represented it was an indication of who you were as a person. Now, I have come to know Paul as an incredible person. I hope you will see that Paul is an incredible person of faith. But what you're going to find out this morning is in that very testimony that he gave right there is he gave four things. And I believe these four things will help us kind of cornerstone this idea of how we can have a hope for the day. Reminding you, whenever Paul speaks, he's no longer speaking as he once did as a Pharisee. Reminding you of all the rules and regulations of Judaism. He is now speaking as a man whose conversion, boom, flash. Remember the road to Damascus. He is now speaking to you as a follower of the way. So whenever he has an opportunity, to he speaks, he speaks of those things that he's under conviction of by Christ himself. And he speaks with a clear conscience. So let's go back at those four things and tear them apart one at a time. Fourteen, however, I admit that I am a worshiper of God. The first thing that you need to understand about Paul's hope for the day is that Paul had no problem in admitting or confessing that he was a follower of God. He was a follower of this person, Jesus Christ. The very person he was persecuting, he is now a follower of. And Matthew 10.32 says this, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. So what Paul is saying is, I'm going to anchor my defense in this one thing, that I am and forevermore will be a follower of Christ. He says, Jesus has given me this platform, so Jesus will also give me the protection that I need. I might have been on one side originally, but God has converted me and I am fully on this side. And for, for no other reason will I speak on behalf of anything else other than Jesus Think about us. Think about us. If we had to stand before a magistrate and someone asks us a question, I mean, I don't know about you whenever I see court cases, the one thing I notice is everyone always kind of starts with the same thing. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. This is out of my character. The devil made me do it. My friends made me do it. You know what I'm saying, right? We talk about all these other things. We, we distract. We divert. And Paul just straight up and says, I admit one thing. I admit that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Man, I wish, I wish we could all have that kind of bold strength. Why? Because he's someone that believes. The next part of that says, and I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and written by the prophets. prophets. This man was a Jew among the Jews. That means all 613 laws, rules, and regulations, he absolutely understood. He not only understood them, but he understood historically their application. And because of that, I'm sure he took the same time and energy to understand the accusations that he was taking against the Gentiles, the followers of the way. And now with that same conviction that he once had against the risen Lord, he now has for the risen Lord. Why? Because the risen Lord has spoken to him. I love the fact that Paul believes this one thing. If God provides the opportunity, then God provides the protection, right? No matter what you think you have to do and all the different things you have to prepare and make do, whatever, Paul tells us one thing. Hey, from the very beginning, I was going about my own way. I was doing my own thing. I was on the road going to do what I was commissioned to do. And from that moment, he has guided and he has directed me. I love that, that he believes everything. Everything? How can he believe everything? I mean, if I knew 613 laws, rules, and regulations, and I had to convert to Christianity, I mean, Christianity is one of those things that's hard to believe everything, I mean, a Pharisee among Pharisees, how can you fully explain what happens to him on the road? He's writing, he's writing, he's writing, and then he's blinded, and then even in his blinded state, he's still ominous enough that people don't want to even talk to him, and yet he's having a conversation, and from that moment, he absolutely changes a full-blown conversion of faith, and I think it's because of this. He was one of those persons that as a Pharisee, the most important thing was that he understood what he believed. See, he's a Pharisee, so he was leaning exclusively into his own understanding. And then I love Isaiah says this, 55, but my thoughts are not your thoughts, right? And my ways are not your ways. And like, boom, from on the road to all of a sudden, he's like, but it's not about my knowledge anymore. It's not about all the things that I know and all the things that I have to do to protect myself. It's actually Jesus. All those things, those crazy people of the way were saying, it's actually about Jesus. He actually is the way, the truth, and the life. I know there's things I don't understand in life. Physics. Any of you guys want to do physics after church? Like I started, oh, we have, we have a physics teacher, thank goodness. But uh, physics? I don't understand physics. If you, if you talk physics around me, I'm sure it makes sense to you, but physics is gobbledygook. Um, add astro to it, astrophysics, even more worse. Add astro to anything. Astro's fan. I mean, still, go... <laughs> still, still gobbledygook. Sorry, Barones. I know you guys. Sorry, Texas, all Astro fans. But I mean, there's just stuff in life we don't understand. Why are we so consumed with the stuff that we don't understand? Why can't we just understand that there's things we don't understand? That doesn't mean we can't believe. And I was thinking that on my computer and I was going through all the things I didn't understand. And then I found this little, I cut this little piece of paper out and I stuck it on my computer about 10 years ago. I don't know who wrote this. If you guys know who it is, please give them credit. Faith is what you believe, it's not what you understand. I gotta say this again, it's that good, right? I've been looking at the same cutout on my computer for about 10 years. It makes perfect sense right now. Paul thinks this faith is what you believe, it's not what you understand. So then, faithfulness is acting according to what? What you believe. See, Paul believed and he knew everything about Judaism. If there ever was a Messianic Jew among Messianic Jews, he knew everything. He, was a, he called himself a Pharisee among Pharisees. He knew everything, right? But on the road to Damascus, what he realized was that was all wrong. And everything that he knew and he understood had completely changed. It wasn't explained. It just changed. And it changed so dramatically that there was no way he could say anything other than this. The same Jesus I've heard about, the same Jesus that they told me about, the same Jesus who's died, gone, and is over with, and is the leader of this sect, is alive, and he's speaking to me now, and he wants to know why I'm persecuting him, and my mind was just like, what what else can he shout in verse 21? What else can he shout at the Sadducees? I do believe in the resurrection of the dead. I know you guys don't believe in it, but I have to believe in it. I'm under conviction. Why? Because I'm speaking with him. I've spoke to him. He spoke to me. He is alive. And that's going to make the Sadducees even more angry. Because not only does that say that what they believe is not true, but it's saying that Paul and this followers of the way have got figured, figured it out. Guys, the resurrection of Christ is the true power, it's the true glue that holds everything down. People love to talk about Christmas about this miraculous time of the year or maybe a miraculous birth, right? Once a year, we kind of allow ourselves to talk about a miraculous birth. Or maybe at Easter, we slide over to having a, a general conversation about the the death of Christ and the resurrection of him. But it seems like we've bookended those things as like two days out of 365, and we live 363 days a year thinking, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Where is my hope? I'll tell you where your hope is. If Jesus Christ didn't raise himself from the dead, then we're all dead in our sins as we stand here today, as you sit there today at the couch, as you listen today. If Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, we're all dead and we're wasting time to be dead in our sins means that we have not been justified but Romans 4:25 said this who was delivered by our offenses and was raised again for our justification we have a problem it's called sin sin has separated us from the love of god and what jesus did in that death burial and resurrection is he said done completely erased, whiteboard, wiped clean. I have justified you. You may stand in front of the bema seat, but you will not stand like other people. You will stand justified. Now there's a hope for today. There's a hope for tomorrow. And there's a hope that says eternity and destiny and death, where is your sting? This is great news to Paul because just as fervent as he was against the word of God, he's as fervent for the word of God now. Think about that. When we invite people to church, if you had invited someone to church, you'd remember that we try to invite people that are like us, people that talk like us, people that dress like us, right? Because we don't want it to be uncomfortable for them. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying you talk to the people who you're uncomfortable with. You speak the truth boldly in love because you have a limited time to tell them about something. You get to overcome this and have a clear conscience in front of God and man and do it gladly when you talk about the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ not only helped Paul get through this trial with Felix, but then Felix is going to hold him in his jail for a couple of years. He's going to have to stand in front of Festive. And then eventually he's going to get shipped all the way to Caesar. And he's going to do so gladly all the way through. And you're like, well, I mean, it's just a a trial. How bad can it be? Okay. He was beaten with rods three times. He was lashed five times. He was verbally and physically abused on a regular basis. He's been hungry. He's been naked. He's been shipwrecked. He's been cold. He's been lost at sea for a day and a night. He's been snake bitten and been stoned on a regular basis to the point where they stoned him, assumed that he was dead. He knocks the rocks off and he goes back in and does what? And preaches the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Guys, if Paul hasn't figured out something that we're missing out on, then this whole message makes no sense to me. But if Paul figured out something, if he figured out the power of the resurrection wasn't so that one day a year we could talk about why Easter is important, but that we could live 365 days a year different than how the rest of the world lives. I know for me when it comes to the resurrection, especially around Christmas time, Easter time, it reflects something different to me. But the reality is a lot of the times it's like we use it for that one day and then we kind of shelf it and then we get to the day and we're like, it's overwhelming. And Paul says, look, it's not a single event. It's not a singular event. If, if, if you only talk about the birth of Christ without the resurrection of Christ then you've missed out on what's truly miraculous. It's an event for all of time in history. It is the single greatest event in all time in history. He is the only one to claim to have the keys to heaven and hell, and he is the only one to have risen from the dead. And for that, we are all going to stand accountable for that information. Psalm 56.4 says this, In God whom I praise, in God whom I trust, I will not be afraid because what can mortal man do to me? What can mortal man do to you? Uh, Give you a virus? Tell you to vote a certain way? Tell you the sky is falling? Those things may or may not all be true, but I can tell you this. It has nothing to do with your soul. There's only one person that has exclusive rights to your soul. And the soul has been designed to live for eternity. And that's something you need to be accountable for. And you have peace, follower of Christ. You have peace. If you've admitted that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. If you believe in everything that was written in the scriptures, whether you understand it or not. If you confess that you have an issue with sin and receive the justification that Jesus paid on the cross. If you have all that, you have the confidence to say, okay, So I get something. So I give something. That's not what I'm going to be known for. What I'm going to be known for is what Jesus gave me. Amen? Because what Jesus gave you is the keys to heaven and hell. That's what he unlocked. So that you could say death has no sting. Does that mean it's not traumatic or terrible when somebody dies? Yeah. But it's traumatic and terrible to me every day that we willingly give up life. When a baby, when we willingly give up a life of a baby, that's traumatic to me. All lives matter to Christ. Jesus said, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. The world matters to Christ. And we got to stop talking about um, this idea of safety, right? The goal is not to have a safe life, but the goal is to have a godly life, right? I, I'm sorry, church, but if we become consumed with safety, then it's no wonder why we're so distracted. What's safe? Am I breathing the mask in? Am I breathing in carbon dioxide? I was having a wonderful conversation with a friend of mine about, is the mask really safe? I was wearing the mask at Home Depot, and I got really overheated, and I was kind of walking on the parking lot, and I was in such a hurry to get it off. I almost walked in front of a car. You say, Pastor Jeff, that's not wise. That's the third time since I've been wearing a mask I've almost been hit by a car. Well, what is safe about our life? Where do we sign on the dotted line to say, I'm going to come to Jesus. I'm going to come to the cross so I can be safe. That's not what Paul teaches us. Look what he wrote to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.11. Yes, and that you will live godly in Christ Jesus, you shall suffer persecution. You shall suffer in this life. You will have, not you may have or you might have, you will have. Did we, church, did we forget what we signed on the dotted line for? We signed on the dotted line all of our sins, all of our fears, all of our phobias, all of our worries, all of our private bones in the back closets of our mind. We signed, we gave all that to Christ. That's what we gave him, garbage. And what does he give us? White robes. It says, you will stand in front of the beam and see, but for different kind of judgment. Under the five crowns I ask you to stand. So live in such a way that makes a difference for today. Oh, Tomorrow we're going to go, and tomorrow I'm going to get clean, and tomorrow I'm going to buy the best mask, and tomorrow I'm going to tell me, You don't have tomorrow. The Bible says you don't have tomorrow. You have today. You need to live today like there's no tomorrow. And then you'll realize the value of whatever it is you have to do today. Philippians 3.10, and I know this. I know I want to be like Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming more like him unto death. The power of his what? His resurrection. That's why the Protestant cross is void of Christ, right? He's no longer up there. We don't remember him up there because that's not where he is. Where is he? right-hand seat of the Father. Right? We have an advocate who's alive and breathing and working and listening and working with the Holy Spirit to help us have this power for today so that we don't have to live like the world. Felix was trained, and he realized this, and he had the opportunity to even sit and have counsel from Paul. Right? Right? Paul calls, he calls Paul back, and Paul has this counseling session with him, and Paul talks to him about righteousness, about self-control, and about judgment over himself. Felix even invites his wife, Drusilla, to come back in and sit down and be counseled by this person. He goes from plaintiff, Paul, this person is a plaintiff, to being this privileged person who now has the ear of the very judge he was standing before. And he gets a chance to tell him about who God is. And as Felix is listening to all that, one thing becomes perfectly clear. He he says, I know all this stuff to be true. I know these Christians aren't causing riots. I can see what they're doing. But I don't want to hear anymore. Right? He dismisses Paul. In the midst of Paul giving him the time and energy, he realizes Jesus is real. And Jesus is knocking on Felix's door and his wife's door at that time. And he's saying, hey, I'm here. I'm alive. I want your attention. Folks, when you make delays... When it comes to eternity, when you make delays about decision, about accepting, believing, and confessing in Jesus Christ, when you make a delay about that, like Felix, you're going to get caught up in a lot of other things. And that's what Felix did. He got caught up in a lot of other business magistrate things, right? But he never came back to that decision. When the Lord's, behold, I stand at the door and what? Knock. If any man opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. It's not that you don't know Jesus is on the outside of the door knocking, church that 's not, that's not how you make it to heaven. you have to let him in. you have to let him in to do the work that he died on the cross, that he paid the price he paid the right to enter into your home and claim that your home is now not condemned but clean. What other businesses more what other business are you doing today that 's more important than sharing Christ with the lost why, why are we so focused on voting this way or voting this way or proposition that way or proposition that way or anything else? Are they important? Yes. Are they significant? Yes. But do they hold water to salvation and eternity separated from God? See, if you don't, if you don't think about that, if you're not thinking about eternal separation, you need to go back and reread Abraham and, and Lazarus. You need to reread stories about the the accounts that we do have of this great chasm that separates us and the torment an individual is in. You need to reread his passionate plea for someone to send back to my five brothers and tell them, please don't let anyone else go through what I'm going through. See, we we don't talk about that anymore. We talk about your rights and my rights as if though, you know, that supersedes any other thing we have to talk about today. What is your right? Well, my right is this. We have no rights. We lay down all of our rights at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, here am I, send me with no rights. I'm picking up my cross and I'm going daily where you want me to go and doing what you need me to do. Occasionally, we have these like moments of religious conversation and we think, they're so close. My brother, my sister, my aunt, my uncle, my father, they're so close. I had a conversation with someone this week as lucid as I am talking to you now. And they said, I am not convinced that my father knows the Lord and he's elderly and I don't know what to do. And I looked right at him and I said, you have nothing else to do the rest of the week or even today. Stop what you're doing now and go straight to your father and tell him, I love you. Thank you for giving me life. Thank you for letting me be the daughter I always wanted to be. Thank you for letting me be the wife I wanted to be. Thank you for giving me the privilege of knowing who Jesus Christ is. But the reality is I don't know if you have that same gift. And I cannot stand the thought of you taking your last breath without me telling you this one thing. Jesus loves you more than I do. Jesus died for you, and He made a way for you more than anything else. And the power of the resurrection is simply this: As the thief on the cross did with no other restitution at all, He simply professed, remember me. You talk about the worst conversion, right? I love that one. It's the worst conversion in the history of Christianity. Remember me, man, if there was ever a lazier way to go in your last breath in your last hours, you can't get baptized, no one's even there. Who, who even knows if they could hear him? They're hanging on a cross up there, right? But he says, what? He turns to him and says, remember me. He gets eye, I guarantee you, he gets eye contact, and he says, remember me. And then I'm convinced of this, and I know i said this a thousand times, and I'm going to say it a thousand and one. His mom is there. His mom is there. I don't know why I believe that, but I believe his mom is there because there's, there's so many moms out there that believe, like they believe and they believe and they believe, and, and everyone else has left, including dads and brothers and sisters. They've all left, but the mom just stays and stays. Why? Because Jesus' mom was where? She was there. And I believe that she was there, and she got the chance to see that conversation and realize something. Everything she had hoped for, everything everything he wasn't, in a flash, it all changed. And she has hope that she will be restored and reunited with that son one day. And maybe when we get to heaven, rather than all the famous people we should ask for, maybe after we fall at the feet of Jesus and realize we can't speak, we'll start there. And then he restores us to stand up and say, hey, we got eternity together. Maybe we should go find that thief. Because real gratitude is not what you do for Christ. Real gratitude is under I mean, the power of the resurrection is what he's done for you. And what you need to receive that. Guys, you're going to stand before your accuser soon. You are going to stand, church, before your accuser soon. In this world, it may just be because you've decided not to cuss. Maybe you want to go to school and be the guy who doesn't cuss. Maybe you want to be the girl who doesn't give herself away freely. Whatever you choose to do in this world, you will stand before your accusers soon enough. And if you don't have the opportunity to stand before your accusers and gladly and boldly proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, man, you're missing out. Because that's what Paul gave us. Paul gives us the hope that no matter what he's going to go through, trust me, next week when we read what he goes through, at any given time, most of us would have thrown the talon and had every right to do it. He never throws the talon, he never gives up. He simply continues to minister to the people that God is bringing around him. In every horrific situation, is like, hey, it's a new group, it's a new sphere of influence that I got to minister to today. I got a new Oikos. I'm on a boat trapped with a bunch of criminals. Isn't this great? And that's the mindset that Paul has. He just keeps going. But standing in front of your earthly accusers is one thing, church. What will you do when you stand in front of your heavenly father one day? And maybe that's a question you need to start with asking your mom or your dad, your elderly friend or family member who's sick. It's just simply saying, have you made consideration That today may be the day that you take your last breath. And when it is, when you stand face to face with the risen Lord as Paul did on the road to Damascus, what will you say? If you can't say beyond a shadow of a doubt that I've admitted that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, that I believe, believe wholeheartedly even though I don't understand in everything that the word of God says and I confess that I have a sin issue that needs to be reconciled, it needed to be justified, and it was only justified in one place. And since it's been justified, I am clean regardless of what my brain thinks at time to time, regardless of what I say while driving down the road and my air conditioner is not working and someone cuts me off. I am clean in front of the Lord and I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of COVID, church. I'm I'm really not. I'm not I'm not afraid of politics. I'm not afraid of presidents. I'm not afraid of any of that. Do I have kidney disease? Yes, I do. Is that unfortunate? Sure it is. Does that mean I'm at risk? For sure it's at risk. But like I said, I can put my mask on and walk across the street to go get my notes and get hit by a car. Right? Let's go back to the scriptures when in doubt. Who by worrying has added one day? Who, who, what do you consume with your worrying for? Fall back to the scripture. What are you worrying about? You only have one day. Your worrying didn't even add one day. You only have the day. Why not just live in such a way like Paul said that the power of the resurrection frees you to live boldly? So when you're at the grocery store or walking around the lake or at Starbucks or doing whatever it is that you do, you do it like Paul in such a way that you proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you do that, then I guarantee you one thing. We will not have embraced the hope for today, but we will have embraced the hope for eternity. And that's something that can't be stolen, touched, taken, or regulated by any person or government. Amen? Don't forget what you have in Christ. Don't forget, as miraculous as the birth and if you don't bookend it with the resurrection of Christ, that you're leaving an open-end question that has not been solved. We have all we need in Christ. And that's why Paul said, hey, I consider it the most greatest privilege I have is to live suffering, to know his pain, to know his resurrection, to be worthy of what was given to me. I hope that you're worthy of him today. Let me pray. Father God, a message like this just reminds me as even as I get older and forget things, forget names that I know that I know, forget to pray for people that I know need prayer, I can't help but think of Paul and think about what he used to know and all the time and energy he poured into learning his tradecraft. To be a Jew among the Jews. To be the best Pharisee that he could be. It's, there's people out there today, Father, that are doing everything they can to be in total opposition to you today. And I pray like you did for Paul. Paul. That in a flash, Father, that you would meet the person listening to this message today, that you would meet the person hearing this message today, and in a flash, blind them to everything that they once thought they knew and once placed all their hopes in. It's just a black hole anyways. There is no hope in the world. The Bible makes it perfectly clear. Without God, there is no good. We can do no good without Christ. Everything that is good, everything about morality, everything that's good about anything is relative to Christ. And if people don't know that today, Father, I pray that you would privilege them with the knowledge of Christ, that he does love them. It doesn't matter what they believed their whole life or been told their whole life, if they would just ask, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Father, I pray that today they would open the door, admit that they need a savior, believe that he died for them, believe in the scriptures that he left behind, confess that there's a sin issue that's separating them, and be justified and the very blood that was shed on Calvary for us. May everything that we continue to say, do, and be be a representation of the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen.
1: alone My hope is found song is a new one. Um, If you guys would like to stand and join us, the chorus says, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise to the King of Kings. Okay, so I think you'll pick it up easy, but let's sing this together.
0: church i appreciate you guys coming along for the ride and next week's going to be another part of that journey as paul the hot potato gets sent on his way to rome along the way it's going to be a heck of a ship ride i hope you'll come back next week and celebrate with us as we continue to celebrate with you everything that god has done for he is good and his mercies endure forever we love you church we hope to see you next week god bless tell a friend come back and see us next week god bless guys see you all Okay, now we can end. Now, let there be an end with Lauren Lee's picture on the thing. Lauren, oh my gosh, if they missed that. Anyways, it's all right, guys. Love you guys. Have a good one.